Welcome to the Mama Sisterhood. I'm Heather Evans. When my twins were born at 24 weeks gestation, I began to think about the uniqueness of each of our motherhood journeys. I also began to understand the importance of education and support from other moms, no matter how different our lives may be. Each episode will highlight one mother's journey and the lessons she has learned on this crazy path we call life. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to the Mama Sisterhood. Welcome back to the Mama Sisterhood. I have a guest today, Emily Webster. Emily, nice to have you here. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So Emily, I am going to let you kind of introduce yourself. So if you would like to tell us um, who you are, your family, where you live, what you do, anything that you'd like to share. Awesome. Well, as Heather said, I am Emily Webster and I'm almost 40. Yikes. Um, time flies. Um, but I am married to Mark Webster and he is an attorney um, here in Kansas City. And we have been married for almost 15 years, which awesome. is also nuts. Um, yeah, that's so cool. And then we have two um, living kiddos. We have Caroline, who is 10 years old and in fifth grade. And then we have Andrew, who is seven and in second grade. Um, and I am a stay-at-home mom ever since Caroline was born. Um, I just, we made the decision. We both had very busy jobs. I used to work in the advertising industry at an advertising agency. And we were both very, very busy um, and decided being pregnant with twins um, that I was going to stay home. And so I have been staying home ever since, which has just been such a blessing for our family, especially having a really difficult start with lots of doctor's appointments and Caroline and Benjamin being in the hospital. Um, and so it has been very, very nice to kind of be around to watch the kiddos grow. So that is great. And that's actually the perfect segue because as we get into, you know, we're all here to talk about our motherhood journeys. You have had quite the journey with various you know, parts of motherhood. So why don't we go back to that twin pregnancy? So tell us a little bit about pregnancy itself, how that was going, and then how that progressed into delivery. Sure. Yes. So um, Mark and I had um, kind of a challenging start. It was very difficult for us to get pregnant naturally. Um, and so after a while, we decided we needed some medical intervention um, and so we, um, I took one round of Clomid. So this is in 2011. Um, and then after that one round of Clomid, we're pregnant with twins. And everybody that we talked to said it was like the Clomid really didn't have an impact on getting pregnant with the twins, that basically it was a natural twin birth. Okay. Um, and of course, being pregnant with twins was a huge surprise. And what was funny is the sonographer, when we were getting our first ultrasound, told us we were pregnant with twins and then asked if it rained in the family. And I said, oh my gosh, yes, my brother-in-law is a twin. And she's like, brother-in-law, not medically connected, but that's really cool. So um, my brother-in-law is a twin. He has a twin brother, um, but they, Caroline, or Caroline and Benjamin were both um, supposed to be due July 18th. Mm -hmm. in 2013. Um, and then eventually we found out, um, through a high risk doctor, because when you have twins, you go to high risk. Um, 
and they were boy girl twins um and then die die twins so they had their own um, placenta um, that was separate in a separate um their amniotic, amniotic fluid sac um so that was all positive when you're speaking in twin world mm-hmm. um it was a very normal pregnancy very healthy pregnancy nothing out of the ordinary i think the craziest thing is that I had, um, like every time I would go into the office to my OB, I had a high heart rate. Um, and that was pretty, pretty normal, um, for being pregnant with two babies. Um, I did have a pretty stressful job. I mentioned that I worked at an advertising agency. And so that was pretty stressful. Um, just very busy, um, sometimes long hours, but then all keeping in mind that I was carrying two babies. So I tried to be, you know, as careful and as safe as possible. So in general, very normal. And I say normal in quotes because it's just so many things can happen in pregnancies, but in terms of it was very healthy. Um, And so what's interesting is um, April 14th, which is when Caroline and Benjamin were born, um, my sister was in town. Um, She was pregnant with her second child. And so that weekend we were having a sprinkle for her. Um, My brother-in-law took my sister and I, um, and we did like a sister photo shoot. We were both pregnant. Um, And then at that photo shoot, I was asking my sister and my mom who were there, like, I'm having these pains. Is this normal? Is this regular? And they're like, oh, some pains is normal. But if there's anything that's out of the ordinary or it makes you really uncomfortable, call your doctor. And so after that photo shoot, I kind of like, I took a bath. I tried to take a nap. I tried to have a snack um, because I was still having these pains. Um, And so I called my OB, um, the OB on call. And she's like, I'm sure everything is fine. You're pregnant with twins. Like everything is going to be fine, but why don't you come into the hospital just to be sure? My husband was outside. So I, he, ran in and I was like, we need to go to the hospital. I'm feeling weird. Um, and so we went in and we went to the ER because I wasn't sure. And then went down to the the ER said, please go upstairs to the labor and delivery floor. So I went up to the labor and delivery floor and couldn't even make it to the nurse's desk. Um, I passed out on the floor. Oh my gosh. um, And then they, said, okay, can you try and make it to the bathroom? I think they needed urine sample, whatever they needed. Um, and it was, it was all very traumatic, very difficult. Um, and then a nurse came in and like, got me in a wheelchair, got me on a table, basically checked me and felt ahead, um, immediately. And so I was whisked into, um, an emergency C-section and I, hardly remember anything from that time, except one of the NICU doctors who would become one of our closest and favorite people, um, was by my right side and held my hand. And she's like, we're going to, we're going to get through this. We're going to, we're going to be okay. Um, Um, and so according to, I had talked to this doctor afterwards and, um, kind of weeks later, um, after the emergency C-section. And she said it was a very difficult delivery. Um, what was interesting is that the doctor on call, um, the OB was not my doctor. Um, it was the doctor on call. Um, 
but I ended up after this pregnancy switching to her to be my doctor. Um, cause she was just so wonderful. Um, and really was very smart, but also very affirming, very, very good at her job. Um, so it was a difficult delivery. Um, Caroline, um, was baby a, and she was Frank breach. Um, so her legs were folded up, um, against her head and her rear. Um, and so she was baby a, she was a thousand grams, which I always thought is so funny that they, they're so tiny that they measure them in grams, um, which was two pounds, three ounces. And then she was 13 and a half inches. And then Benjamin was baby B and he was 980 grams, which also comes out to be two pounds, three ounces. And he was 12 and a half inches. Um, and after the fact, um, people kept telling us how large they were for being born 14 weeks early. Um, because that is when I went into preterm labor, 26 weeks, three days. Those are still Um, some tiny, tiny babies. I know. And that's what was so funny that they, everyone kept saying that. And I was like, these are the smallest babies I've ever seen or ever heard about or thought of. Um, but they, I, so many people were so gracious and trying to say things that were positive and to me very small, but, um, the spontaneous preterm labor, they never found out why it happened. Um, but yes, 26 weeks, three days. And they also said those three days are so, so important. Like any day after, um, is important. Um, but it was, funny when I was preparing and thinking about this podcast, I talked to my husband and was like, how did it feel having your wife whisked away in an operating room? You couldn't be in there um, since it was an emergency C-section. And he said it was, you know, obviously one of the most stressful things he'd ever had to experience because not only your wife and babies are, could be in danger. He's like, I had to call my parents, your parents, let him know the scoop. He said constant, constantly there were doctors and other medical staff trying to give him information. And he's like, I'm trying to process this information when all I want to do is know how my wife are and my kids are. And he just said it was such a, a challenging I didn't, I didn't realize he, when you were saying, talking earlier, so he was not even in the room for your C-section. No, he could not. He, I think because it was so traumatic because they had to do it so emergently because Mm -hmm. they were coming right then and there. Um, he, he did not get to be in there at all. Were you under general anesthesia then? Did they, I was. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So what's, what's funny, we try and find the humor in these really difficult situations. Um, just like several years ago, I was talking to my mom just about my delivery and she had no idea I was on general anesthesia. And she's like, you were really out of it. Like when we were in, you were in the recovery room and I was talking to you and she's like, I couldn't believe she's like, I feel like I didn't grasp, like you didn't grasp what was happening to the babies. And I said, I was waking up from general anesthesia mom and she's like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea. So, um, yes. So Mark couldn't be in there, which was also challenging. Um, but they, Caroline and Benjamin, then they were in respiratory distress, um, and were intubated and taken to the NICU, um, right away. 
And then when I woke up eventually in the recovery room, I remember the first thing I said was, how are the babies? How are they doing? Um, and then once I was awake enough, I was able to be wheeled in my bed to the NICU, to their rooms. And they luckily, um, which I think Overland Park Regional Medical Center does with twins is they were in connecting rooms, Ours which was too. really nice. Yeah. yeah. And um, I couldn't, they were like, oh, here are your babies. And I'm in this bed, like, again, trying to wake up and be alert. And they're like, oh, do you see them? And the height of the bed was so that I couldn't see them at all. But I just said, okay. I remember just saying, oh, they're beautiful. Look how tiny they are. But then I couldn't see them at all. So really the, my first, the first time that I was in the NICU, I couldn't see them, but Mark took pictures of them immediately. So then I could see them through the pictures. Um, and it's crazy when you have an emergency C-section and you are in the room recovering, waking up, um, they want you as soon as possible to start pumping, um, because you can't breastfeed the babies immediately. And I never really produced milk. So that was another layer um, to the challenges of this pregnancy was that I didn't really make a lot of milk. I was making a little bit because um, I was pumping as soon as I can't remember now because it's been seven years since I've, but like maybe every four hours or every three hours on the nose, like every single time pumping. And then luckily they were in the NICU. They didn't eat a lot of my milk anyway. So I was keeping up for a while. Um, but that was just very stressful. I never really produced milk. Um, and then luckily the hospital let us stay in those rooms for several more days. I think we stayed at least a week, um, which was nice because they had the room. So then we could go up, um, I could be monitored and then we could go up, um, to the NICU. And then when I was recovering, um, my um, stitches um, became infected. And oh. so I had to take oh, that extra medicine and stuff for that too. Um, but it was just really interesting because I was supposed to leave my job in May of 2013. And then Benjamin and Caroline were born April 14th. And so I never really had closure on my job um, because I just they were born on a Sunday and then I just didn't go back to work ever. Um, and so that was just another of the challenges. Um, my company was amazing. And eventually when Caroline was old enough and healthy enough to go out into the world, they threw our birthday party. So I was able to reconnect with so many people that I had worked with. Um, but that's just another thing that I just left mm -hmm. and never got to come back. Um, but one thing I remember also about being in the hospital is when you're waking up, you've just had a major surgery, your kids are in the NICU, and then there are so many visitors, family and just from the hospital, like representatives, social worker from the NICU came and doctors from the NICU and nurses, and then just all of your other regular staff members that come in when you've had a a baby. Um, and so I just remember that being really overwhelming 
and frustrating at times. Um, even when we were like our um, church's pastor came, I was just irritated because I remember it was just one more person and I was just having a hard time because all of this had happened so quickly. Um, and so there was just so many visitors. Um, but the pregnancy was normal, but certainly the delivery, there was nothing normal or regular about it. No, I would say not. Wow. That is quite the story. So moving beyond the delivery, let's talk about Caroline and Benjamin's NICU stay. So why don't you kind of walk us through those early days and then how that kind of progressed over time? Sure. Um, so Caroline spent 82 days in the NICU. Um, and just when you are well enough, when I was able to go walk myself up to the NICU, it's just, again, so you're healing yourself. And then there is so much paperwork, so much information just being hurled at you. And it's all helpful information. It's all wanted information. Um, but it is a very overwhelming, like just a continuation of what is overwhelming. Um, I remember meeting with the doctor who was, um, there. And I don't know if you remember this, but I think the doctors every two weeks they switched. Yeah. So, yeah. um, which was nice because then if you had favorites or whatever, then, you know, it was just a new person, um, to kind of learn about your child, um, when they were there, but that was so much, um, when you're just thinking immediately about, the health of your babies, and then just getting all of this information spewed at you. Um, but yes, yeah, so Caroline was there for 82 days. She had chronic lung disease. So she was on a ventilator for a while and then CPAP and then a nasal cannula. Um, she conquered hyponatremia, jaundice, hypoglycemia. She had a very large patent ductus arteriosus, a PDA, um, and so we had several rounds of Indocin, um, and luckily that closed on its own. So surgery, um, wasn't, uh, we didn't need to do that. Um, she had anemia, which caused the need for multiple, but blood transfusions. She had so many tests, chest x-rays, ovarian and renal ultrasounds, MRIs, echocardiograms, eye exams, hearing screens. Um, she had a pick line that was placed when she was less than a week old, which infiltrated and became infected. Oh, so no. another pick line had to be placed. Oh. Um, I remember that specifically because they didn't want us. There were some procedures that the medical staff said, absolutely be a part of, um, which is something that they really encouraged you to be a part of anything that you were comfortable being a part of. But I remember the pick line they said, nope, please do not look at this. You don't need to see your child um, go through this. Um, but she was poked regularly as all NICU kiddos are for uh, blood tests. She was, her tiny little body was filled with medications. Um, while she was in the NICU, she had hundreds of episodes of oxygen desaturation and bradycardia as well, as well as a few scary episodes of apnea. Um, so I remember one time specifically, I was able to hold Caroline and Benjamin for the first time when they were two years old or two, two years old, two days old, um, uh, which I know is early for some 
kiddos in the NICU. And that's another interesting thing is while you're there, you meet so many amazing families and they all have similar, but different experiences. Um, so two days old is when I got to hold them for the first time. And as you know, Heather, it's like such a, a complicated situation mm-hmm. with wires and cords and multiple nurses trying to tape these wires and cords down on you so you can hold your child. And it's really hard because you want to hold your child. And I think the max that we could hold them was an hour a day. And, but then you also feel bad because I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so complicated for the medical staff to put this teeny tiny baby on you. But of course it was the best hour of my entire day, every day. Um, But several times, and one time in particular, I remember one of our favorite nurses, our primary nurse, um, Caroline, I was holding Caroline and the nurse just casually, because she didn't want to make me nervous, um, just said, oh, she's turning blue. Let's go ahead and, and, and intervene a little bit. And so she picked her up just, I mean, it, you know, I know the beauty of NICU nurses and oh, NICU staff, they are just some of the most special people in the entire world. And 100%. Uh, just, she did it so casually and to me, just not to scare me and scar me for my entire life and not wanting to, I guess, kind of make me not want to hold my child because, mm-hmm. but just that happened several times. But this same nurse that I mentioned, um, just NICU, they just talk about the ups and downs of of being in the NICU. And this nurse in particular had twins of her own in the NICU, but she didn't make being in the NICU sound scary. She just said, matter of factly, having kids in the NICU is just, there's going to be great things that happen, but then maybe a moment's notice, something bad will happen, but it, it just is. And so that's also very anxiety inducing, very stressful. Um, but again, these nurses and other staff members just made it seem normal, you know, in quotes for the NICU. Um, but just so many machines, so many beeping noises. Um, and so it was probably several weeks. It was the first, around the first of May, I got mastitis for the first time. Oh, and I, literally the worst I've ever felt the worst sickness I have ever felt in my entire life. And even with mastitis, they're like, you have to keep pumping on the regular, um, which again was so incredibly painful. Um, I found some humor in the mastitis because while I was working at the advertising agency, the client I was working on was, um, for animal health, specifically, um, products for cattle. And one of our products was for mastitis in cows. And so it was so funny. I was like, oh, mastitis. Sure. I know the symptoms. I know what to expect. Like I had no idea cows could even get mastitis. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but it was just, yes, such, but just such a terrible experience. And when you have mastitis, I can't remember if it was 24 hours or 48 hours, you had to be fever free before Mm -hmm. you could go back to the NICU. Even if they knew that was why, and you couldn't give it to your baby, but still to be safe, to be safe. And as you know, being in the NICU was just 
I mean, I felt like when COVID came around, we were all like all NICU families were we like were experts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, man, COVID, we've got this. Like I've been, <laughs> we prepared forever for this. For Let me teach you about isolation. We know how to exactly. do this. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and when, um, like even when Caroline was still in the NICU, we bought, we bought a case of all of the like medical grade hand foam and stuff and gave it to all of our family and friends. So eventually when they could come over. Um, and so when I had mastitis, you had to be again, fever free for 48 hours. Um, on the morning of May 5th, um, the hospital called. So I always had my phone on because there would be updates, um, just in case something happened with one of the kids. But I remember every time it rang, I always gave it immediately to my husband. And it was like maybe four or five in the morning. Um, and I gave him the phone. Um, and they let us know, let my husband know that Benjamin had, um, they thought he had neck. So neck is necrotizing enterocolitis. It's a disease of the intestines. Basically it kills the tissue in your colon. Um, Mark, because again, we had been woken up, um, thought it was something that had to do with Benjamin's actual neck, like mm -hmm. the part of his body. Mm -hmm. Um, because we weren't familiar with what neck was and what the abbreviation. Um, and so I can't remember if they let me come in anyway, um, because they were very concerned that Benjamin wasn't even going to make it through the day. Oh. So we were able to, we, so we went to the hospital very early. We had them call the chaplain of the hospital and we had both Caroline and Benjamin baptized. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, it is serious in the NICU. The NICU is a very serious place anyway, but you know, it is very serious when you have to have, um, like the extra like head coverings, toe coverings, like the booties and like the capes and gowns that, um, they made us wear just to stay extra protected for our safety and for, um, the baby's safety. Um, but we got there and had to kind of gown up, look like we were getting ready to do surgery basically. Um, but Benjamin was visited by so many different infectious disease specialists, so many different specialists, um, specifically one that I remember, um, was a surgeon and he was extremely matter of fact about the situation. He was not warm, um, and just said, this is the situation. So they thought he had neck, um, but no one was a hundred percent sure. And so, um, again, lots of tests, lots of x-rays. Um, and so he was on an oscillator, which is the kind of the worst, um, breathing, um, apparatus that he could be on, um, that you basically don't want babies to be on oscillators for long extended periods of time. Um, but he was on an oscillator. Um, they decided to do after two weeks, um, to do surgery. The doctor, it was kind of special, very special. Um, the doctor that was holding my hand, um, while I was having my emergency C-section was the doctor that was assisting with the surgeon, um, doing Benjamin surgery. So, um, again, they said he might not survive the surgery, but this is basically the last thing 
that we can think of to do um, to try and help him. Um, and so they went in, did the surgery. Um, the surgeon who weeks, two weeks ago had told us that he had neck, necrotizing enterocolitis, um, went in, did the surgery. And I know from other families I have talked to that they had to be transferred to a different hospital to have the surgery. Um, but OPR has a surgery suite. And luckily the surgeon was checking in on us and was um, able to do the surgery there, which made it much, much easier. Um, so Benjamin survived the surgery, um, which was amazing. Um, he was so incredibly strong, but in that surgery, too much of his bowels um, were dead and he had um, sepsis throughout his entire body. So he was not able to survive um, and passed away on May 20th, that the evening of May 20th. Um, so he was in the NICU um, for 36 days and we were able to have all of our parents be there and our pastor um, and just all of us. Um, we got, Mark and I got to hold Benjamin um, for a long time, the hospital. And again, the nurses, I will not stop talking about the amazingness of these nurses. Um, it happened to be two during, um, it was during 7 p.m. where there was the transition of nursing staff. Um, the nurse who was there all day stayed with us. The nurse who was there at seven stayed with us. Um, and so it was, of course, one of the worst things to happen in my life, but it was also so special that everyone was there. Um, the strength, I mean, just the strength of Mark and really our parents too, because they never got to hold um, Benjamin. Um, and to see now that I am a parent, to see our parents be so strong for us um, and dealing with this situation was just um, really incredible. Something that was probably the biggest struggle for me um, was that I was never able to hold Caroline and Benjamin at the same time. Um, I didn't ask, which of course, lots of things, I feel like questions I would have asked, things I would have wanted um, in this situation, um, but I never asked, but it that I never got to do that. And I think that is something that I struggle with still um, is being able to have them have the connection to be together, be on my chest, just um, so that is still um, really, really difficult. But it was such a horrible, but also beautiful um, experience with, with our families being there. Um, and I actually had, um, after probably the next day or so, we had to go to a funeral home, which is of course something that you never want to have to do for a child. And um, I remember I had mastitis, I got mastitis again. And so it was the, sec the second time um, having it and just having to pick out a casket and go on a tour of a funeral home, something that you don't wanna do, um, but his funeral, um, was May 25th and all of our siblings 
and parents were there. And something to mention is that my sister had her second baby on May 18th. So Benjamin passed away two days later. And so it was, my sister was so incredibly supportive um, in such a difficult time for us, but also it was such a wonderful and joyous time for her. And I remember, and she lives two hours away, um, but she and her entire family with her one week old baby girl um, came to Kansas City for the funeral. Um, but it was just never, we talk about normal in the NICU. I never had any normal firsts. Um, there was a baby shower after the fact, my baby showers had to be canceled. I never took a glucose test. I didn't get to bring, um, both babies home. Um, my doctor didn't deliver my baby. Um, so it was just a really difficult time of, of grieving for my child who passed away, grieving for Caroline, who was still there. Um, and then just grieving that I didn't get the normal pregnancy or the normal delivery and normal, all of the fun things you have when you first have a baby. Um, and so we did move rooms. So Caroline, um, and again, I feel like Mark and I never had a, the chance to properly grieve because we were trying to stay strong for parents, trying to stay, stay strong for ourselves um, and stay positive um, because it's like, we felt like, okay, well, Benjamin has passed away. Like we want care, like we want to do everything we possibly can to protect Caroline. So um, we changed rooms and Caroline, again, typical NICU experience. She had, um, really, really great days and then bad days. I remember coming in one time and she had two IVs in her head, um, because heads were popular places if you couldn't get IVs anywhere else. Um, and she had just like group strep B and just all of these things that were challenging. So ups and downs still, um, but then slowly, but surely she started, um, doing better, um, from the CPAP to the nasal cannula, we were able to give her baths, like an actual tub bath and not like a, a wipe down bath in the isolate. So she went to a crib from the isolate and we were able to put clothes on her. So all of the normal, fun baby parenting things we were starting to able, able to do. Um, I know right before we ended up being discharged, both grandmas came in and they were able to hold Caroline um, the first time, you know, almost 70, 80 days later. Um, but I, I was spending, Mark was still working at that time. Um, his office was so incredibly um, respectful and his schedule was very flexible, but I was spending more than 12 hours a day there because I wanted to be there, um, with both like nursing changes and be there as long as I possibly, possibly could. Um, and so July 4th, I remember, um, that they said, okay, we're going to go home tomorrow. She's going to go home on oxygen, but she will be able to go home. And so it was so special 
because we were able to look out our window and watch fireworks from the hospital. And so it just seemed like such a, a sweet and very appropriate celebration. time. Yes, a celebration. And so she ended up going home on oxygen on July 5th. Um, and so it, again, trying to grieve the passing of a son and then also stay strong and positive from, for your daughter um, really helped me in so many ways, um, just be, become a stronger person, a stronger parent. Um, but we eventually went home July 5th celebration. <laughs> wow. That is such a story. And that's one of the main things when, you know, hearing about your story is I, you know, it's, I can't even imagine. So I'm so sorry for your, for your loss of your you. sweet son. I'm so glad you had your family was all able to be there yes. and meet him. And I mean, it had to be so hard to then just turn right back around and go back into that NICU. And yes. like you said, not have that chance to really grieve, but you didn't have a choice because right. there was Caroline and, you know, in her room needing you. So, yes. but again, like you said, the strength that must've taken, I mean, not that you had any choice about it, but sure. I mean, wow, that is, that is difficult, but that is, again, I'm so glad you had all the love and family around yes. you during oh, that time. Sure. Okay. So you had July 4th celebration, July 5th, Caroline gets to come home. So tell us what that was like bringing home baby Caroline and how the time after that went. Oh my gosh. It was just such a wonderful day. And I know I remember our parents were so excited to see her, but Mark and I wanted just one day of having her at home without any medical staff or anyone else just to really take in, um, the sweetness of this little tiny person, um, that was our daughter. Um, it was so incredibly special. So, um, as I mentioned, she did go home on oxygen. Um, there, so one of the rooms in our house, we lived at the time in a split level. So there was just lots of little tiny floors. Um, mm -hmm. and so a giant oxygen machine, um, took over one of the rooms of our house and then, um, had a cord, um, and the cord only was long enough to go certain places in our home. So um, I always thought that was really funny. Um, just like, sorry, Caroline, you can't go down here unless you have, we connect you to your smaller oxygen tank, which we used for doctor's appointments. Um, but Caroline, yes, had chronic lung disease. Um, there wasn't sure how that was going to look moving forward um, in her life, but, um, the oxygen, um, so even going into preterm labor, we had already finished the nursery. Um, so prior, um, to bringing Caroline home, um, we had to take apart the second crib. I had to return maternity clothes, um, other twin related items, um, that we didn't need. And again, having that loving, caring support system, my parents, ran so many errands, um, all while they're grieving Benjamin's death. And just, so again, that support system was so incredibly helpful. Um, and so when you're discharged from the NICU, you have so much paperwork, 
um, so a list of doctor's appointments that need to be made and a constant stream of bills. So many bills that come in multiples every single day. Um, and I think it was really, really difficult um, when bills came in for Benjamin. And um, it's just because then you'd see it and you're like, oh my gosh. And it just would bring up all of the emotions again. Um, and so I think when you bring a NICU baby home, it is wonderful and so incredibly joyful, but you're grieving. Again, we were grieving Benjamin. We were also grieving all of our friends being the medical staff of the NICU and of the hospital. It's, we talked to them every day. They became our friends, our confidants, um, another, you know, layer of our support system. So that was really hard. And then having a child who had a very challenging start. Um, it was just anxiety about everything, every, and Caroline, when she came home with the oxygen also had an apnea monitor. Um, and so that would beep the loudest beep in the entire world. Um, if her oxygen levels, um, were to go down. So it was just anxiety about every little tiny thing and not having our medical staff NICU support system. So that was very, very challenging. Um, and then we also, for safety, couldn't really hang out with anyone. We really wanted to protect Caroline as much as possible um, until she was much stronger. So that was staying home, only going out for doctor's appointments. Um, and so just trying to navigate Caroline's well-being and her health while grieving, um, and then going to doctor's appointments in which I just found a spreadsheet that I had made. And in the year she had over a hundred. So we had wow. a home nurse. She went to physical therapy. She saw endocrinologist for her growth, a urologist for her bilateral kidney reflux. She had eye appointments, um, developmental pediatrician, lab works, ultrasound. Um, she went to her regular pediatrician. Um, we also saw infant toddler services and parents as teachers. So we did all of the things, wanted to make sure we did as much as we can um, to keep Caroline safe and healthy. Um, and so it was just, yes, over a hundred doctor's appointments. I like having the spreadsheet because I like seeing the progress of um, how strong she was and mm -hmm. how much we went through to get to the point that she is now is just absolutely incredible. Yeah, it is. Wow. Um, but what was interesting while we were in the NICU, um, they did a renal ultrasound because she had bilateral kidney reflux and they found cysts on both of her ovaries, um, which is very uncommon in, in infants. And that's another thing that I want to mention is stats so much while we were in the NICU, they told us about, oh, this the odds of having this or doing this. And I felt like the stats were against us the entire time. They'd be like, oh, well, there's only a blank percent chance that this will happen. And then I felt like it happened. Um, and so when they found cysts on her ovaries, it's like, I almost wasn't surprised that there was something else, like another layer, um, 
of difficulty. And so that we went to um, ovarian ultrasounds very frequently. Um, and then we had appointments with the surgeon who had done Benjamin's um, surgery. We had appointments with him just to check in. He would read the ultrasounds and let us know if there's anything we needed to do going forward. So I remember on October 25th of 2013, we had an ultrasound and then we had a follow-up with the surgeon and he said, something is going on. I can't see it specifically in the ultrasound, but it's cysts or it's something they've gotten so large that we need to do surgery to remove them. And so this is, Caroline has been home about three months. Um, and so he's like, this is the date. The next date he had surgery was three days later. So I remember going home from the appointment and then saying, Hey, Mark to my husband, guess what? This is happening. We're going to have to go, um, back to the hospital. Um, this time the surgeons, um, his main hospital where he performed the surgeries was KU med. So we had to go back on October 28th, um, to remove the ovarian cyst. Um, and then while we were checking in and getting Carolina gown and all that stuff, um, her, she had a herniated belly button, which they also said, we'll just go ahead and fix while they're in there. Um, they were hoping to do it laparoscopically through her belly button. Um, and then, um, we found out that her left, um, ovary had cut out its own blood supply, um, ovarian torsion, oh. um, and her ovary had died and needed to be removed. Oh my um, gosh. Which again, incredibly rare. <laughs> yes. Incredibly rare for that to happen. <clears throat> um, and so then it was staying several days in the PICU at KU med. Um, and I felt like at the time they were not well equipped, um, for such a little human. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like even the PICU, like the gown was for like a, a large child or something. I know like, when you said gown, yeah. I was like, she's three yeah. months. Yeah. Yes. And three months, like premature three months. So like, yeah. so still so tiny. Um, and so everyone just said, seemed to be so confused while we were in the PICU. Um, but she did end up having to have um, because they had to remove the ovary, it couldn't be done laparoscopically and they had to make a larger incision. Um, but when we were in the PICU, it was just, again, just flashbacks, anxiety mm. of something that we had just left. And I do feel like because we were so informed of all of her medical information is I do feel like it was very helpful at KU, which was also a teaching hospital um, to have all this information. Um, they ended up getting a nurse from the NICU to be her nurse while she was there. Um, oh. Just like different NICU yeah. nurses because they were much more well-equipped to deal with and handle such a teeny tiny baby. That makes sense. Um, but after that hiccup, um, hiccup in quotes, like such a mm. large Quite hiccup. hiccup. Yes. yes. Um, Caroline continued to grow, um, continued to hit her milestones. Um, she was always barely on the growth chart, um, but she was making progress. So she hit her milestones, of course, much later than the typical 
child of her age, um, but she continued to hit them, continued to grow. Um, her chronic lung disease turned into just illness-induced asthma. Um, her bilateral kidney reflux, which is what we're also following, resolved. We also um, follow endocrinology for growth and um, her cysts because so many factors go into growth. Genetics is one of them. Um, currently, Caroline is not on pace genetically um, based on how tall my husband and I are. I went through puberty very late, so that's a factor. And then it's a factor that Caroline has one ovary. So we're continuing to see our amazing endocrinologist um, for growth, but essentially every other problem that was a concern in the NICU resolved itself. And she is just the most strong person I have ever met. Um, just such an incredible 10 year old who surprises us every day. Um, we ended up moving houses. We moved um, and told people, oh, we're moving. We want to be farther this direction or this direction. But really it was because there was so much, so much joy in our home, but also so much pain mm -hmm. um, and hardship that we just wanted a fresh start. It was the best mm -hmm. for us yeah. to just have a clean a clean slate, a clean, um, fresh start and environment. So does your family have any ways that you honor Benjamin or that you talk to Caroline about her brother now? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, we planted a tree in our backyard and it has a little sign right in front of it. Um, and it's right in front of, um, our kitchen window and it's a redbud tree. And so, in the spring, it is this just this beautiful um, purple flowers. And so it's just like an everyday reminder that even if we aren't speaking about Benjamin, um, that we are thinking about him. Um, and for the first couple of years, uh, we brought like when he turned and Caroline turned one and then two, uh, we went to visit his, we would go to visit his grave. Um, and then realizing that balloons, letting balloons go are not super great for animals and the environment. Um, and so now every May we get caterpillars and then we watch them, um, grow and then turn into butterflies. And then on the anniversary of his death, if it so far, the timing has been pretty well with the butterflies hatching. Um, we go to his grave and we let the butterflies go. Oh, that's um, beautiful. Which has just been just such a, a special tradition, special memory um, for him. But I think the important thing that we do is that we talk about him constantly. And it's hard when you have a son and a brother um, that isn't on this earth, but is such a huge part of us and is such a huge part of Caroline and her story um, that we just continue to talk about him. And we don't, and this is the same with family members and friends, is that we're not hush hush about it, or we don't want it to be awkward when we talk about him. It's very matter of fact, like we talk about him as if he's living with us now and we don't want to make it uncomfortable. It is not an uncomfortable situation for us. So we have pictures of him around the house. We look about, look at pictures of him 
um, with Caroline and Andrew, uh, we're very open about medical procedures, our NICU experience. Um, we never want Caroline to feel like her NICU experience and her being premature defines her. So we just focus on this is what happened to you. If you have any questions about it, let's talk about it. Let, let's just honesty um, and communication. And then after Caroline was discharged, I became active um, in March of Dimes. And then we would do March for Babies every year in Caroline's honor and Benjamin's memory. Um, and then one of the doctors actually asked if I would be on a committee in the NICU. Um, it was called the Developmental Care Committee. And so I was able to have a voice um, for parents of decisions and things they were doing in the NICU. I was able to um, talk about our experience and kind of talk about how things they're thinking may or may not work based on the parent point of view, parent, parent point of view. Um, and then I became in circle, became a part of circle of hope, um, which is where I met you and heard about your amazing story. Um, and then Caroline, her, um, hers and Benjamin's story just got taken down. Um, but they were a part of the wall of hope, um, at Overland Park Regional Medical Center. Um, and it's funny because I remember when I was sharing my story about wall or about, um, for Circle of Hope, for the Wall of Hope, and I was hesitant about including Benjamin's story. Um, but the Wall of Hope at Overland Park Regional Medical Center is pictures and stories of um, babies who were in the NICU um, in order to give hope to those parents who were in there and say and see these kids who have overcome so much and give them hope that their stories and their experiences will eventually end up hopeful and wonderful as well. And I remember them telling me part of the appeal of your story is including Benjamin um, in this, which I thought was so special because so often when talking about my experience, you kind of don't want to include that or talk about um, his passing because it's so sad and it's it seems like you don't want parents to hear that if they're reading, um, they want to hear stories of joy and, um, but they wanted me to include that because our story, unfortunately is common, um, in when you're in the NICU is it not common, but it happens. It's a part of so many people's journeys. Um, and so they wanted to include that. Um, but just, we have met so many families, so many mothers, um, in similar situations to ours, which is heartbreaking, but also wonderful because I have connected with so many moms that have had similar situations and um, we've leaned on each other, which has just been um, such a great thing for me, I know, in my ever continuing grieving process. So that's yeah. been really nice. Well, and you mentioned Andrew, which is where yes. I was going next. So you, your family, we decided to grow your family further. So yes. tell us a little bit about bringing Andrew into the world. Yes. It's so funny. Again, I mentioned this earlier, but you try and find the little pockets of joy and like funny things to happen of this situation. And 
Mark, my husband always, he is a, um, he has two brothers. So he has three, you know, there were three of them and he always said, Oh, I'd love to have three kids. And I was like, Oh no, no, just two for me. And then we got pregnant with twins. And so he's like, look, we had three kids. Like we, we had three babies. Um, (laughs) um, so we wanted to have another baby again, very difficult to think about so much anxiety. Yeah. Um, they couldn't find a reason for my preterm labor. And so, um, we thought moving forward that gave us a little less anxiety because if there was a reason, then maybe we could solve the problem. Um, but maybe this was just, uh, once one, one time thing, um, with the preterm labor. Um, but we had trouble, um, getting pregnant again. We did multiple rounds of different medications and they were not successful. Um, so we decided to go see a fertility specialist. Um, and as you know, so many tests, so many different things that you have to go through, um, to even get to the point of having a procedure or doing IVF or doing IUI. Um, Mark and I both looked reproductively healthy. Um, and so we were excited about that, that possibility of maybe this is going to be successful for us, but also really hard because they couldn't pinpoint why we weren't able to conceive naturally on one thing. And so it was, that was also difficult. Um, I ended up doing one IUI, um, and then we felt like that wasn't, uh, financially. We're like, if we're going to do this, let's just go big or go home. Um, and so we started the process of doing IVF. Um, I remember the medication came in a giant, giant box, and then it was just full of medications. And just like with Caroline, when she was in the NICU, you do whatever you can, whatever medicines, whatever procedures, um, to keep her healthy and help her grow. And it is the same kind of, that was my philosophy doing IVF. I was like, we're going to power through this. We're going to solve this problem. We are going to figure out how to have this next kiddo. So with the medications, I was like, okay, it doesn't matter. I don't fully understand all of the medications that are going in my body, but it doesn't matter because our goal is to have um, a kid. So I did the egg retrieval had a good amount of eggs um, and then went to a good amount of embryos. The first embryo, um, it was a fresh transfer um, and it was not successful. I do say, I will say that I had a lot of anxiety thinking that the egg would split or the embryo Mm -hmm. would split and become Mm -hmm. twins um, Mm -hmm. because I did not want to go. I don't feel like my body physically or mentally could go through that process again. Um, but then that first fresh transfer was not successful. And so another round of medicines, um, but our second transfer, our frozen transfer was successful. Um, and so we had our sweet, sweet little, little Andrew was cooking. (laughs) So, and then Andrew, as you progressed throughout your pregnancy, so they were hoping that that was just a fluke from the last time, yes. but I'm sure I'm imagining they're watching you very carefully. So how did that go? And then when did he end up joining us in this world? Yes. So since I was pregnant with just one baby, 
I was able to take progesterone. So if I would have been pregnant with twins or other multiples, I wouldn't have been able to take progesterone. Progesterone is to help prevent the preterm labor. Um, while I was pregnant with Andrew, I had a cyst burst on my ovary oh my around gosh. 12 weeks, which you I was already, what <laughs> else, right? Isn't it right though? We all have these stories. And I remember my mom just saying, she's like, everybody goes through, like has challenges and goes through hard times. It's just what's challenging for them at that point in their lives. Yeah. So that cyst on the ovary burst around 12 weeks. Um, I guess that was a blessing because after that, um, they were just very, very sensitive, knowing our story, knowing our history. I was monitored closely. I had so many extra ultrasounds. Um, I ended up having placenta previa. So the placenta covering the cervix, luckily that resolved, um, before, uh, delivery. Um, I also had gestational diabetes, which was a fun surprise because I did not make it the first time with Caroline and Benjamin to do the test for gestational diabetes. Yeah. Um, so that was a delightful situation. Because why not so, at that point, right? right? Like why not just exactly. have gestational diabetes on top oh of it? Oh my gosh. It was just, oh, girl. and I feel like someday I hope they figure out a solution for testing for gestational diabetes besides those drinks, because clearly I, I failed the first test. So I, I feel like in all, I had to drink three uh. of those giant drinks. Oh, goodness gracious. But um, so I had to go to um, a doctor for that a high risk doctor. Um, I went for that. Um, I luckily gestational diabetes. Um, I was very, very serious about it. Um, anything I needed to do. So it was just diet controlled. Um, and then of course, resolved once Andrew was born, but I was just so much more protective, so much more careful with my body. Um, we found out that Andrew was a boy. Our baby was a boy. Um, so of course there are so many emotions that go along with that, having lost a son and then gaining a son. Um, but my pregnancy, besides those few things I mentioned, um, was very normal, very regular. Um, I think it helped the anxiety to be um, closely monitored. Um, and then on February 29th, um, I started having, cause it was a leap year mm -hmm. and I started having, um, contractions and again, Andrew was supposed to be due on March 30th. So February 29th was four weeks early. Um, so I decided to call the doctor. The doctor on call was like, I'm sure it's nothing. Don't worry about it. If it gets more serious, come in. I ignored that advice and just went to the hospital immediately. Um, and it was funny. We left for the hospital in the 11s, like 11 PM. Uh -huh. And I made my husband sit in the car until the clock struck midnight because I did not want to have a baby on a leap year. I get so, it. I would do the same thing. Right? I totally would do the same thing. So we just sat there and it was fine. Um, I went up, I had a C-section, a regular C-section. Mark was able to be Good. in the room with me. Um, Andrew was born at 2.31 a.m., 35 weeks, six days. So still um, early because you have to go to the NICU if you are under 37 weeks. Um, but he just had to spend 
less than 24 hours there in the NICU. Um, and when I was talking earlier about that special relationship with the nurses and the staff, I remember, you know, at 2.30 or earlier when we were in um, the surgical suite, uh, a nurse practitioner who we had had was there and she said, Emily, oh my gosh, it's me. I'm so like, I'm sorry you're in this situation again, but I am so happy to see you. We're going to take care of your son. And it was just so comforting um, to see someone who had cared so hard for my babies then um, to be in the, the room with me. Um, and then once Andrew was up in the NICU, he had the same um, neonatologist that was there when we checked in um, with Benjamin and Caroline. Um, and then we had a nurse who we just love, love, loved who was up there. And it was so funny because I remember when I was able to go up um, after recovering a little bit and go visit Andrew for the first time, she's like, oh my gosh, the nurse, she's like, we fought over having you. She's like, there were so many nurses. Aww. We saw you that Andrew Webster, we saw it was the same family. She's like, and we fought over wanting to take care of Andrew. And I just, it was such a special like a big family here. Yes. And I still am connected with these amazing, amazing yeah. medical staff members of the NICU. It's just amazing. But again, less than 24 hours, he was there and we went home in a reasonable amount of time <laughs> from the NICU. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. I have two last questions for you. Yes. My first question is, I mean, you have an amazing story filled with, I feel like every emotion possible. Overall, what lessons do you feel like your motherhood journey has taught you? Sure. I feel like parents are the best advocate for their children. I learned that so quickly um, that there were um, maybe things, procedures or medicines or certain things that happened while we were in the NICU that I had questions about and I asked the questions and got more information. Um, but that really has been the best advice moving forward for us about everything is that mm -hmm. parents are the best advocates. Um, I always tell Mark that we should write a book about our experience you and should. have people read it. I know you, you did mm -hmm. twice. I know, I but you can do it this. too. Oh, I, I would be first in line to get it. <laughs> because I feel like so much that happened in such a short amount of time um, really defines so much about how Mark and I parent, mm -hmm. how we are as people. Um, and so I feel like, like people need to read this so they understand where we're coming from in so many aspects of our life. Um, but I learned that we can do anything. Mark and I have, like, I feel like our marriage, our relationship was so much stronger after this situation, we're both so like, I found that myself that like, we're so strong. We have seen Caroline go through so many things, so yeah. many things that even old, older adults haven't even been through. And so seeing her be able to conquer so many things and see Mark and I have to deal with so many emotions and so many situations, we just look at problems differently. We um, look at our lives differently and know that we can handle anything, whether it's something as simple as our washing machine broke 
like breaks. We're like, we can handle this. We can attack it. We can solve this problem quickly and easily. Um, and then just knowing love and patience and the importance of relationships of family and friends and community is just, we couldn't have done this journey without them. They are such a huge part of our story and such a huge part of me feeling comfortable and confident enough to talk to you about this um, without breaking down in tears. I saw a women's wellness counselor four months after um, Benjamin passed away. And it was so nice to have her. She was also a nurse. So it helped, was helpful to have a medical um, provider also with a counseling aspect to really understand what we had been through and how we were feeling. And so having that um, was just a really good check-in for me mentally um, and physically. And I think that is also important is checking in with yourself and knowing what you can and can't handle and that either one of those is okay. Um, and then lastly, that grieving is a process and that you will never know when it hits or how it hits. I was in Old Navy with my sister and um, pretty shortly after Caroline was discharged from the NICU and boy, girl, infant twins came pushed in. And my sister looked at me and said, I've got this, took the things I was going to buy, got in line, said, go to the car. Like, this is like, you, you've got this, I've got this. And so it's just knowing that anytime grief can arise and it's okay to grieve, it will be a continuous process your whole life. And it's just managing it how, how you feel you need to manage it. Such good advice. All of that. Such good advice. Thank you for sharing with us. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. More lighthearted question. The last mm -hmm. question that I asked all of my guests, if you had a whole day to yourself and you could go anywhere, you could do anything, where would you go and what would you do? Ooh. I think I would sit at the beach. We love the beach. We have a place in Florida um, that we go as a family every year. And I would have everyone in my family be there. I would have Caroline and Andrew and Mark all be there because seeing kids play at the beach, play with seashells is just one of my greatest joys. Um, but I would just listen to the waves, collect seashells, um, have a picnic with all my favorite foods, pie, fried okra, pastries, um, and then just relax. Being out in nature is just one of the most wonderful, calming things um, that I feel grateful enough to be able to do. Love it. Well, thank you, Emily, so much for so openly and honestly sharing your story, the good parts, the hard parts, the, you know, everything. And, you know, we, we appreciate, I know it's a hard story to tell, but it's an important story to tell because like you said, these things happen. And we also want to honor Benjamin and make sure that he is talked about, like you said, every day and, and then also celebrate Caroline and how strong she is and how strong you are and your husband. And then of course, Andrew completing your family. So thank you again for talking with us today. Oh my gosh. Thank you. And thank you for creating this platform for other families and other moms to talk about their stories, because it is so wonderful 
to be a part of this club that nobody wants to be a part of and to just meet other families. So thank you. You're very welcome. Hey everyone, I wanted to jump on here real quick and remind you about my books. So Learning to Breathe is our NICU journey from when my twins were born at 24 weeks and just a pound and a half each. And then the NICU Mama Survival Guide is a book I wrote combining my knowledge as a pelvic health PT who's worked in postpartum care for a really long time with my experience as a NICU mom to help moms recover, even though the little one is in the NICU, to help them recover from their pregnancy and delivery. Both books are available on Amazon. Thanks for joining us today on the Mama Sisterhood podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any extraordinary motherhood journeys. Also, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second to rate and review. This helps me reach more moms. See you next week.